automated autonomated vehicles and uh, or automated vehicles autonomous, autonomous vehicles, vehicles would be yeah. Is, yeah welcome to episode five of the polis podcast i'm john and i'm ben and today we're going to talk a little bit about autonomous vehicles and what we should call them and what will happen and right. if they should come into being. Well, I guess to specify, it's it's less that we like we know they're coming. We know they're going to arrive. But should they? Is this a future that we really want? I think this is a hot debate that a lot of people are having now, but we wanted to, you know, throw our two cents into the ring. And, you know, I think there's a lot of excitement around new innovative things. And, there always is. Yeah. yeah. And not saying there shouldn't be, but... Most of the time, I would I would argue, um, innovation comes real fast, and people are not entirely sure how to deal with all the ramifications. And I think it's a it's it's all it's really useful to explore what's going to happen and should it happen and what it's going to look like before we actually go green with it. You know, just to prove it. And yeah, cool sure. It. Just dive in. Yeah, I you know it's funny that you say that because I almost feel like historically innovation hasn't actually come that quickly. Well, okay. The the impact the impact upon society. I, like you think about computers were this huge revolution, but for the first 30 years the computers were out there in the wild, they were only affecting the top 5% of people that bought them, you know what I mean? Like they're not yeah. affecting the broader society. I think this uh, like autonomous vehicles if we do go fully gung ho for them, I think mm-hmm. that will be the kind of thing that will probably affect everyone much more dramatically, much more quickly. Than you know, a lot of sure, things. sure. I can't think of any other examples right now, so maybe I'll just uh, I'll, <laughs> not I'll, to immediately I'll, I'll, contradict you. No, 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 no. It's good. It's good. It's good. It's just. But I guess that that foreshadows some of my thoughts about how it will imp- be implemented. Yeah. Right, right. And technology now just moves too fast. Maybe we should just maybe I, maybe I should just walk back a little bit and say now because I'm just thinking of like Facebook's gone too far. Maybe ads have gone too far with things. Um, well, and you're right. Like, the, the, like all of the like software development, bioethics. Yeah, the, the software development of the last 20 years like has meant that things can be rolled out. Like the internet meant right. that things can be rolled out to everyone immediately. So you're right, right. That, that stuff has impacted right. everybody immediately. Right. So just to answer the fundamental question that we came here to ask, Ben, <laughs> should we yeah. have autonomous vehicles? Should that be our future? Like, is that where you want the world to go? On balance, yes. I'm down with autonomous vehicles, with self-driving cars, whatever we want to call them. I think that they can be great and they can be a great addition to like the way that people get around to reducing our carbon footprint to a lot of things but i just want to give a slight caveat to every good thing that i say about autonomous vehicles which again i truly believe i believe that they're they're better on balance but the the caveat before we begin really is that actually and i think i'll talk about this but no matter what we what nothing you're just you're nothing without a caveat my friend (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, you always, you always got to have one. You always got to have yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is that as much as I want autonomous vehicles to be around, we also need to deprioritize cars, regardless of if they're autonomous or not. I think that the benefits of that outweigh no matter what type of car we could ever create. And so that's kind of just the, the, the one caveat that I have. I could see that. I think they can solve a lot of issues with cars, but they will never, ever solve transportation issues like mass transit can. Um, and that man just has to deal with space. Yeah, of course. And whether you have autonomous vehicles or not, you still can't engender things like street life or like better street life, I should say. You bring up a good point, but I think that this is something that a lot of people seem to gloss over. Everyone thinks of autonomous vehicles, and this is why I like autonomous vehicles much better than self-driving cars, because autonomous vehicles <laughs> don't have to mean cars. Like it means a vehicle that drives itself. Sure. Which could be buses, which could be minibuses. Sure. Like you see things like we already have with Uber Pool, where you have multiple people taking the same right. car. And some right. in, in certain instances, they have it where you have to walk a couple blocks to it. You get dropped off at a centralized right. location, right? So right. I think... Which is a bus. I'm just going to put that out there. They yeah. created a bus. Right, exactly. They've created a minibus that is more convenient than a larger bus. Like it's yeah, less efficient, yeah. but more convenient, right? And the thing about something like Uber okay. is that you're making, you're filling this gray area between a car, which is your own thing, and mm-hmm. or re- really more between a taxi and an actual right. normal bus, right? And there is this gradient that I think can emerge with autonomous vehicles that never existed right. before. And sure. I think that that's something that a lot of people miss. I think you're completely right. Like if you have just individual ownership of autonomous vehicles, that could exacerbate some of the problems that we have. That's the point that I'm getting at, is that sometimes autonomous vehicles and self-driving cars, I'll just say self-driving cars. <laughs> sure. To specify cars, because you're right, yeah, autonomous yeah, yeah. vehicles are not yeah. just cars. But to specify self-driving vehicles here, I think they have at some points been billed as a way to relieve all traffic congestion. And I think mm. that that's false. 
I think that no matter how great we can make the system, it's false, simply because individual cars with individual people will always take up more space than public transit. And when space is a factor, which it always is in cities, and when we want to actually densify cities and make streets smaller and make blocks smaller in order to get the benefits of the ideal cities that we were talking about last episode, you have to choose the modes of transportation that both actually, like as a consequence, mm. induce those changes, but also uh, you just have this issue of space as well. So like not only yeah. does fast transportation do that, but it's also a trade-off with space. And those self-driving cars will never be able to do that, no matter how efficient they can make driving. See, I'm not sure that I'm completely in agreement with you on this. One of the things that I've been playing with in my mind is this idea that as the percentage of trips that you take during the day or during a week, mm -hmm. let's say, increases in terms of the number of places that you can walk, the number of trips required in a vehicle drops. Right. So if autonomous vehicles allow us to remove a huge amount of the space that is dedicated to cars, like but parking lots. Oh, it does. It oh, allows oh, you to I remove see. all I parking, see. all parking lots, okay. all driveways, all garages, right? Like all of that space can be eliminated. Could be, not will be. I'm not saying that that's how it will happen. But. Right, right. I want to hear your point, but let's specify for a second. In your future, in the one that you're imagining, yes. and we should just set the boundaries first about like what the future is and then talk about it. Because sure. I think this is an important part is like individual ownership of autonomous vehicles. Does that mean that you actually keep and hold an autonomous vehicle in your house? Like you essentially, it's the same thing we have now but your vehicle drives itself. Right, and that's, Whereas, that, that is a very good point. Right, and there's another future, an autonomous vehicle future, where essentially you just have autonomous vehicles just like driving around, driving around, yeah. and they just get called like, like Uber or Lyft, and then you personally do not own a car, but because there are so many cars in circulation at one point, there will always be a car out there for you to call and then yes. get into. And I think the scenario that you are talking about right now, which again, I want to hear, is for that future, not for the one where we have individual. Because you're that's absolutely the only way right. parking lots is gonna go, are going to go away. Yes, you're right. I'm making some assumptions. So before we get to right. my assumptions, let's take right. it back to where we are now and talk a little right. bit about how this future that we both expect will happen. Right. And I think right. both of us think will probably be, in large part, positive, how it will happen. I right. think okay. the first iteration, as we're seeing out there with... Google, as we're seeing out there with Uber, as we're seeing out there with Volvo, which has come out with a deal for self-driving cars. Okay. I think the first iteration of this will be in fleets. I think that's pretty universally fleets? Ac accepted. Yeah, fleets. So they will be controlled in the same way that like Uber has a fleet that has individual people own these cars and individual people drive these cars. I think when automated vehicles start getting used on the street widely, it will first be owned by companies like Uber. Right. Individuals probably will not have enough faith to buy these cars. These cars will also be really expensive up front at the beginning. And right. so the only way that you could make enough kind of money back to justify having this sort of car is either if you're super rich and you're paying like $200,000 for a car or mm -hmm. if you are using it all the time in a fleet like cab-like situation. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. the first iteration of them will be in cabs. Okay. Right? Okay. Yeah. I think I, that makes I, a lot you know, of sense. I, can, I, I think so too. Agreed. They're the only ones to be able to put the capital up front and maybe potentially make money off of it eventually. I mean, that's... It also yeah. resolves some of the issues around liability. Like if you have right. somebody that owns the car and they're driving it themselves, but they're not driving, if they get into an accident, obviously they're not liable. So who's liable? Mm -hmm. Well, is the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. If you have somebody managing a fleet, it makes sense to, to make the fleet manager liable for the damage, mm -hmm. right? Like that mm -hmm. is a, a relatively simple thing to handle, I think, legally. Right. I think that's pretty probable. Yeah. So the question then comes... After we have these fleets, where does it go from there? And right. my thinking is that very quickly, you already see in some large cities that an Uber with a driver is cheaper than owning a car yourself. Just using Ubers essentially whenever you need transportation somewhere. In some cities like New York or like London, it is cheaper just to take an Uber rather than try to own a car in the, the like heart of the city. Yeah, I think actually London got rid of Uber, but... Definitely. I'll... Well, they had it for years. Right, like the analysis right, right, that right. I read was old. Admittedly, this was not okay. yesterday that I read this. So got it, got it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I know that they've had Point lawsuits. Taken. Taken. I don't think they've I actually wanna... gotten rid of Uber. I think they just have a lawsuit. They changed the yeah. rules. They were going to get rid of it. Okay. I'm not sure that it's settled. Either way, that, that's Either beside way. the point. The point is that right, the right. economics of it is that it starts to get cheaper than owning a car. Right. If you remove drivers, which are right. 50, 60% of 
the cost of an Uber or a taxi, then it would make sense that the cost would continue to drop. Mm -hmm. At the point where self-driving cars or automated vehicles become cheaper than owning a car, at least in cities, I think mm -hmm. that it's unlikely that you would ever have people really buying these cars themselves. And I think it's a very likely future that it will become cheaper in any kind of urban area to use these whenever you want and have the convenience of never having to drive, having the convenience of just having a car at your beck and call wherever you want to go. I think that will very likely become cheaper than owning a car yourself. And so I don't think anyone, especially people who are poorer, who are in a more difficult economic situation, I don't think that they will pay for the luxury of owning a car themselves. I, th I think it's that this is obviously hugely speculative, but I think if these are electric vehicles, if they cost a huge amount up front, but they end up being relatively cheap to run and use and manage, then it could very well kill or at least greatly reduce car ownership before they even get rolled out to where individuals can buy them from a dealership in a normal way that you would buy a car today. Well, mm, yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I'll say that's probable. I'll go out and say that's that's definitely a probable future, but two things to consider. Yes. Number one is the simple fact that car culture is a, is a real thing. People True. love their cars. People want to have cars. And a very small amount of the car is marketed on their ability to get you around. A larger part of the car is marketed on, hey, this car offers this specific thing or looks this specific way or gives you this specific yeah. lifestyle, right? And I don't. I just don't think I can see most people giving up, especially people that love their cars, giving up that regardless of how cheap it gets, especially because if and when automated cars become mass produced to the point where they can be cheap enough for personal ownership, then people are going to want to buy it. Well, let me tell you. Okay. Okay. People loved horses when cars came out. People have very right. close bonds to their horses. And people right. abandoned their horses when their horses were too slow and too costly and had well, too much point. poop in the streets. I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that is that I'm trying to take this to its conclusion, which is they are super cheap. Like these automated cars are super cheap, as cheap as cars are today yeah. to produce, if not cheaper. Sure. At some um, point, yeah. And they will be seen, They like they're already kind of being billed as look how luxurious this can be because you can take a nap, you can read, you yeah, can do sure. you know work, you can do whatever you want while you're in the car and and i think that the internal like gadgets and stuff and things that you can do are going to be the selling points and if you have a automated car they're going to want to get people to buy these personalized automated cars because of the amenities that are being offered and if, if you have a future where people don't own personal cars anymore mm -hmm. You know, there are a bunch of different car manufacturers out there. They're all going to be different. And so your experience is going to be different each time when you get in. Most likely there might be some standardized It's hard to things. know how it will unfold, but like, it's very possible that you will be able to have a membership with Cadillac and like Cadillac has already rolled out this thing where you can get like, I think a couple different Cadillacs over the course of the year. It's like a membership type thing, a subscription type <laughs> thing, rather than buying a car. Essentially, you just have a subscription to Cadillac and you can get a new Cadillac every six months or what have you. But I think it's very likely that for premium brands, they will have a few cars or fewer cars and you'll just have to give them an extra five or 10 minutes notice because they might not be right like a block or two away. And so you can be more mm. consistent or you can even mm. put a preference in like whatever app you're using to say, I only want, you know, leather seats or what have you. Like, I, I don't know exactly how this will unfold. Right. And you're right. There is that customization that people want and right. that luxury that right. people want. But I think the economics of it is really powerful because for cabs, they were always going to be more expensive than owning a car because you have to pay someone to drive you. If you right. don't have to pay anyone to drive you and the driving is the same between owning a car and not owning a car, it makes a ton of sense that instead of using it 5% of the time, having it be able to be used 100% of the time is going to be much, much cheaper. So it's very likely that it will not just be cheaper to use these automated taxis than owning an automated car, mm. but it will be dramatically cheaper because leaving a car sitting in your garage all the day or all night, all of the time, like that's not going to be getting very much value out of it. Mm -hmm. If the cost of the car is the same, if it's being used all the time, it'll probably be cheaper. Essentially, you're spreading the cost of that car across 20 people instead of just keeping it all to yourself. And that's right. going to make it much, much more expensive to own a car. Right. I guess kind of the issue is that for people that don't necessarily use a car for every trip, 
right yeah. now. Like they can get to work a bunch of different ways. And maybe if it's raining or they have a lot of things to carry, they're going to drive, right? But sure. they could take the bus, they could whatever. Those people most likely are the people you're talking about. But I think I'm, I'm trying to think of the people who are the most car dependent, the ones in the far flung suburbs or not even far flung, just in the suburbs or just really, really, really want to drive a lot. The fact that they will use a car every single day, I can't see the benefit of, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what you're saying. Is super interesting. Think, okay. Think about it from a slightly different perspective. Okay. Okay. What if I own an automated car, right? Yeah. And I drive yeah. to work, but now there's a car sharing app and I can just use, send my automated car out and make money from it being in like an Uber type program. Right. That would be amazing. But that would be like private ownership that you then. I don't well, know, no, but so what I'm saying feature. is like that would make it much cheaper for me. Like what I'm saying is it would make it cheaper for oh. everyone. And so for anybody that's consuming a mass market car, anybody that's driving a Camry today will choose something that is dramatically cheaper. And even if you use the car every day and you drive to work every day and you drive to the store every day and that's like what you do, it will still be much cheaper for you. All of that time that you're not using that car to have it out there being used by other people so if you mm. own the car that'll make it cheaper for mm. you but like if you don't bother owning the car fleets can manage these things much more efficiently than you probably can as a car sharing type situation but you're not getting back in the same car it's just true yeah okay I see right. What you're saying. right but, but i'm just right, i'm just right. saying that like it, it will I, I think we should not underestimate how powerful price is and right if you're saying that it will cost you half the money and you get the added convenience that your car doesn't have to wait around like you can just go out drinking and pick up a car anywhere you happen to end up. Like you don't have mm-hmm. to tell the car to follow you. I guess you could just tell the car to follow you. That would be weird. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> but like I, I think that it will seem almost like a burden in the way that a lot of millennials almost see like home ownership as a burden where it's like, oh, I get locked down into this place for 30 years. I can't move. I can't leave. Like I think car ownership will begin to look more like that where it's like, oh, I own this car. Now I can't move across the country. Oh, I own this car. Now I and now I have to find parking. Yeah. Now I have to find parking. I have to get a house that has parking and storage and a, a garage. Like right. I don't want to pay for all that extra stuff. Okay. Like okay. I, I, I mean, okay. certainly luxury people, that's still going to be a thing, but yeah, no, I, I, I'm with you. The only other thing I can think of is just the, convenience of having a car in your garage you do you don't you have no weight to get in and go true and you can store stuff in it like a chair or right right but you could i'm sure i'm sure you'd be able to like i'm sure they they create options for you to call like a uh i don't know a pickup truck you know an automated car pickup truck and you would just wait maybe slightly longer if you needed to move something yeah um, but it, i guess i'm just saying like like for me when i had my car back in the states like i always had this volleyball net that i kept in the back and like i would go out mm-hmm. and like set up with my friends sometimes randomly and play volleyball or i would you know keep a cooler in the back and then i would just have like drinks or like water or something that's cold in the back of the car like you're not necessarily going to have that if you're getting a random mm-hmm. car or like beach stuff if you go to the beach all the time or something like that or hiking like if you have your hiking stuff like those sorts of things it's nice to be able to just have them and not have to carry all that stuff out of your car and carry it all into your car every day. But I think that that's a small True. thing for not that many people. That is an added level of convenience that you have with your own car. But I don't think that that's as great of a convenience as not ever having to find parking or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Not sure. But but from the way we're no, talking, you, you know, you've 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 can I I I think I think you've probably convinced me at this point. Um, nice. It, it. I mean, yeah. It just. I think that makes sense. Maybe there are some externalities that I'm not thinking of. But that from like a strictly cost perspective, I could see a lot of people doing it. Yeah. Um, in which case, if that's the future, we, we can go off that. If that's the future. Sure. Um, where where ba- basically, let's say most people do not own a car. Hmm. Then you're right. There will be a lot more space in cities because you do not need to find parking. Except there will be like a massive, I mean massive car parking lot. But that could easily be outside of the city. Well, not necessarily. I mean, to cut down on costs, the car companies that own these cars are going to want a place close and gas stations close, like personal. I'm sure that they would, they would get, they would build their own like personalized gas stations that, um, yeah, so they could true. refill the cars and send them back as needed. And they're not going to want to go too far between the parking yeah. lot and the, and the ref- pro- probably parking lot slash refill station, but it's still less, it's still less. But I still say the, the cost of the land, like for storage, the parking lot, they're not going to have a giant parking lot in a city because the cost of the land will be dramatically more expensive than having something on the outskirts. So but even it might if be you have worth to drive it. an extra three miles. 
I don't know. It might be worth it, but you're right. It's but hard to right. know. That's, yeah. I guess point is, at the worst case scenario, mm. it's still fewer parking garages, parking lots than yeah. we have now. You know, worst case scenario. Hugely fewer, um, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. In which case, frees up lots of space for cities to either build, put parks in, put sidewalks in, whatever, put metro stops, whatever. But ultimately, this future, I think you're right, probably on balance is going to be better. So for you, what do you think are the are the main benefits that like autonomous vehicles bring? Why why is it going to be a better future? So I, I think the obvious things that a lot of people talk about in terms of reducing accidents, reducing deaths, reducing stress of driving. Like driving, you might not notice it if you drive all the time, but it does add this little layer of stress that you have to have this little layer of focus the entire time mm-hmm. that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. It obviously gets a lot of people kind of riled up and angry. And if you ever move someplace where you don't drive, suddenly you will realize, oh, wow, <laughs> suddenly I'm so much more relaxed. I don't know how that happened. So removing all of that stuff is, I think, the obvious thing. But the ability to save all of that space has the potential to have this kind of spiral effect where you can make cities much denser if you use that land well. Because not only do you need to right. have fewer parking spaces, you also probably need to have smaller lanes you probably need to have less of a shoulder. You probably need to have fewer lanes in a lot of situations. Well, here, I think this is the issue with that. Or the, not the issue, more of like the, there's a, po- there's, there's, I think there's a, a very probable downside to the, to, the, to the autonomous vehicles in that in order for their usage, and I don't know how the pricing necessarily is going to work, but like in order for their usage to be, cheap enough they have to have a lot of people using it and if if, if you imagine every single person let's say every single person 90 percent of people give up their personal cars yes they're still going to want to get around and if it's super easy and super cheap like cheaper than owning a car yeah to just be able to order one up then there's going to be probably a lot more cars on the road if there are a lot more cars on the road then car companies are going to be pushing for expansions of roads longer True. blocks basically prioritize cars even more in cities and people who depend on these cars to get around are going to vote for politicians vote for ballot measures whatever to prioritize cars even more and i think that's the downside to them yeah like that's that's sort of the trade-off is there needs to be that political will to not have that happen and to understand that again as i was saying in the beginning autonomous vehicles have these amazing benefits for like reducing deaths and stuff yeah and reducing space only if we do not fall victim to like the extreme benefits that they can bring, if that makes sense. Right. And this is this is where I, I do absolutely agree with you. I do see potential downsides. Like there are two major ramifications that on their face are hugely positive. One, any trip in an autonomous vehicle is going to be much more pleasant. You can turn on the big screen right. at the front of the car. Right. You can relax. You can right. listen to podcasts. You can do whatever you want in there. Yeah. You can play checkers with your friend, whatever. That's great. But the downside of that is that it makes it much more pleasant. So it's not as bad to have an hour and a half commute. Right. So people will be much more willing to have long commutes. Right, right now, there's this huge movement away from having long commutes. A lot of people are really annoyed with having being stuck in traffic and having long commutes. Mm-hmm. But it's not so mm-hmm. bad to be stuck in traffic if it's not stop and go. It's just a constant slow speed. And you can just watch, I don't know, whatever TV show you love right. watching. That's not that bad of a morning. So that's a possible negative. You could sleep. Yeah, you, you could. could although you I don't make think make up for the sleep. I don't think that many people will wake up, get dressed, shower, go into their car, and then go take a nap. That's what I do on the bus every day. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. Okay, I can't. I don't I, think I can manage that. Uh, I, I mean, I know not. I know not a lot of people can actually sleep on a bus. It, it also hurts my back because yeah. you're not supposed to be sleeping in those tight, cramped quarters. But no. in a car, you could just you know, an autonomous vehicle, you can just recline it yeah just recline back and sleep right you know it could do whatever um i guess what i'm trying to say is that i I agree i fundamentally agree with you yeah it's going to make the trips longer right so that's one potential downside and the other one is that because it is so much cheaper and i do think it will be dramatically cheaper and there are a couple reasons why it'll be dramatically cheaper one is one the one we already talked about but another thing that is less appreciated i think is that we are in the process of a pretty rapid transition to solar energy and these Mm -hmm. cars are going to be almost entirely electric, if not entirely electric. It's highly unlikely that you'll have any of these large fleets that are fossil fuel based. If they are electric and we continue the transition to solar energy, long-term electricity prices will probably drop substantially. Solar energy, once we've built the capacity, no longer incurs a huge amount of expense. It's kind of like 
building internet, building a lot of different kinds of infrastructure, like building a dam or something. Like once you've built it, you can get electricity from these solar panels for decades and decades without continued expansion of the solar grid or what have you. And so if that takes place, since we no longer need fuels like coal and oil to power the energy system, it's likely that electricity prices will drop. So not only will you not have to pay for a cabbie, you don't have to store your car, but the cost of the fuel will drop substantially. It's quite likely. And so if you're looking at it and you're saying, well, taking these trips is now a third of the price that it is today, and it's much more pleasant, it's going to be really easy for people to not just be in suburbs, but in be in really far-flung suburbs, like mm-hmm. commuting from San Diego to Los Angeles. That sort of thing will be much, much more common to have like a two-hour right. commute, which will allow right. cities to expand dramatically. And you add to this the fact that city centers could get much denser, as we described, and very likely will get much denser, but that will also mean that prices will not be low. So you'll have this drive to push people out because prices will get really, really high, even higher than they are now in city centers. Well, why would why would why would city centers get more dense? Just because they can build more? Well, yeah, there's areas? a lot more space to be used. Yeah, but I but I think that if I don't know, one of the reasons, not the only reason, but one of the big reasons why dense areas are popular now is because commutes are bad. Okay. Right. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a major selling point. Like, Hey, we're close to public transit. You can walk to downtown. You can walk to your work, right? You can bike to it. You're close to everything. If it's super cheap and super easy and rather enjoyable to get somewhere, you can move far away. I think it potentially could even drop the price of, you know, it can de-densify basically everywhere uh, because you don't need to have things necessarily so compact. You don't need to have living spaces compact you'll probably still have like a central business district because businesses like to be close together yeah they cluster yeah you might even have clusters of central business districts basically i think there's a a very likely probability of a suburbs times 10 with like central business districts just interspersed among the suburbs that's interesting kind of what it is now i hadn't really thought about it like that if people don't need to live downtown and if, if, if it's that cheap really if it's like super super cheap then i don't know why people wouldn't want to live because like everyone wants I mean, it's part of the culture, right? At least in the U.S., is that people just want that single-family home with a white picket fence and whatever. True. But a large barrier to that is cost. But also, a deterrent from having that is there are none of those in downtown areas or, or in really, really urban areas. Like, there's not a lot of single-family homes. Hmm. And so if they could have that single-family home and also have an enjoyable commute, at least be willing to give up the time. Because really, it's still the same amount of time, if not more. Yeah. If you're willing to sink that time then people will move away from the center of the cities. I guess I don't completely disagree with you, but I think that you, you are missing, like there, there is a fundamental thing that I do believe that people want to live in the center of cities. And I think right. throughout history, people have been driven right. out of the cities by pollution, by crime, by various things. People have decided, I don't want to be in right. there because there are certain downsides. I think Mm -hmm. increasingly, as we've said in earlier conversations, we've gotten rid of a lot of those downsides. And now the primary downside, I mean, there are still some issues with noise and there are still some issues with pollution and things like that. But for the most part, the big downside is that it's really expensive. Right. And I think that that will continue to be the barrier that pushes people out. And the fact that you're right, transport gets so much cheaper. People will go out just because you can get so much more house or what have you if you're further out of town. And land. And land and all of that, exactly. So you're right. I I think that that is an extremely possible future. But I do think the city centers, I think there's a growing understanding of how to use that space effectively. And I think that you're going to use that space. You're not going to get rid of all these parking lots and suddenly just like leave them as gravel. You know what I mean? Like that space is going to be used. Like I agree. Okay. I agree. Except that the reason why we have suburbs now, the reason why we have any sort of sprawl is because the invention of the car, yeah, you know, mass production of the car and plus subsidization of the car and subsidization of like the suburbs and subsidization of gas, but whatever, all of those together, all of that, basically, yes. basically a reduction in price, like across the board, a yes. reduction in price of living far away mm-hmm. allowed the creation of suburbs, right? Yes. That's the only reason why they exist. Otherwise, but there was also people, like, a drive if, if at that to... point. Like we still had really bad inner city pollution because of factories and a lot of things like that. Like there was a lot right, of air pollution right, back in the 30s right, and 40s. Right. But it is always cheaper walking to work or walking to work is the cheapest the cheapest form of commute, right? Because it costs you absolutely nothing. Yes. Like at least with a bike, you have to buy a bike, whatever. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Right. But people, you know, if they have even a little bit of money, they are willing 
to take the cheap option of having more space and also Mm-hmm. to your point, avoid the pitfalls of a city, which were largely due to the fact that cities weren't designed super well and we just didn't think about stuff. But whatever. The point is is that the reason why suburbs exist, I, I would argue the main reason why they exist, is because there was a cheap way for people to live far away and come into a city. Regardless of if they were trying to escape the pollution, escape the noise. But you can't ignore that. Like They could only exist because of cheap transit. You're right. Without the right, cheaper right. transit, they could right, not exist. Right, but right. they would not so, have existed if people didn't want to get out of the city in the first place. And we didn't have the massive growth of the cities. Sure. Okay. I, my point here is that in your scenario about autonomous vehicles, it drops the price of transportation even more, like of, of single individual occupancy cars yeah. even yes. more. That's why I foresee, like the fact that the suburbs exist, at least in part because of a, of a huge reduction in transportation, mm. even though time to and from your work, even though that grew, uh, people were still willing to take that. And I think that if you drop the price of transportation even more and you increase the time a little bit, People are willing to have that time trade-off. People are willing I think you're probably to live right. far away. And and so and so I'm I'm not saying that we're gonna go back to like downtowns being super cheap and just nobody lives there at all. Maybe not, but I I, I think that it will relieve pressure on people living downtown. City cores will still like, get denser though. Like, they'll still use all that space that's now being freed up. You know, they will, but they'll probably won't use it for housing. They'll probably just use it for businesses. They'll probably just use it for like uh, restaurants that are only open during the day because there might be a drop in demand. I mean, maybe not. Maybe maybe I'm wrong about this. Maybe there's something I... Like I doubt, I still think cities will continue to grow rapidly, especially the largest cities. Sure. Like if you look at like downtown San Francisco, for instance, a drop in demand would still be huge demand. Any new property that they build will be snapped up immediately. And so if that transition happens, that housing will be filled and that housing will still have Mm -hmm. enormous demand Mm -hmm. for decades Mm -hmm. to come. Like that's not going to be diminished. Right. And I think that applies to Manhattan. That applies to San Francisco. That applies to a lot of our largest cities. Okay, cool. I think we can kind of just agree at this point that there will be new forces that either push and pull people away from the middle of cities and... Most likely what we'll see is the cities will start to build on those spots that are now taken for parking. Yes. Whether or not that's businesses or homes, that's how cities will change. That's really hard to predict. Yeah, that's all city policy. Yeah. Exactly. But I think something that we should mention, and, and this slides neatly into where we're at right now in the conversation, is that if it is super cheap for people to drive, yes. um, and even cheaper than it is now, more people mm-hmm. will probably want to drive because it will be cheaper, meaning that People will start to call more cars at more times throughout the day because the trips will be cheaper. And I don't know, some, you know, people who are lazy, who don't want to walk two blocks to go to like a coffee shop might call a car, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess what I'm trying to, what I'm getting at is that the cheaper something is, the more people use it. The more people use cars, the more space is needed for cars. And what we've learned from urban planning and from just tons and tons of studies is that when you build more lanes on a freeway, you induce demand and actually cause more congestion. Yes, of course. And the issue here is, and to kind of throw a little bit of a wrench into what we were just talking about, is that the more people use these autonomous vehicles, probably the more traffic there will be, which goes back to my issue about space. Because there's just not enough space and and you just have to continue to build bigger and bigger lanes and that just cuts into like the urban fabric. Can I ask you something about induced demand? Because it's something that I've been thinking about and I don't quite have a handle on it. So with things like this, essentially the concept of induced demand is that if you create increased capacity, that you boost demand by more than the capacity, right? Well, you'll always, I don't know if it's necessarily more than the capacity, but every time you create more capacity, it is always filled. Okay. Whether or not it's more or, or, you know, you... But it's at least completely filled. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You build another lane, people think, oh, wait, there's another lane. Now there won't be any traffic. And suddenly everyone has that thought, so there's now more traffic. Yeah, and this has been observed repeatedly. But my question essentially is, if you reverse it the other way, because in my head it was like, if you expand capacity, you increase demand by more than the capacity expansion. And so if you reduce capacity, do you then reduce demand by more than the reduction And so what I was thinking is at a certain point, if increasing density in the center of cities, as people walk more, it will reduce demand for cars. Like you're right, there will be some people who are lazy and just want to walk two blocks, but most people won't spend the five minutes Mm. that it takes to walk the Mm. two blocks to wait for a car to show up and get into it and then get out the two blocks Mm -hmm. later, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Most Mm -hmm. people will walk within a 10, 20 minute radius of where they live. And at a certain level of density, when a certain percentage of your trips are in that zone, your trips taken will drop. 
And so I could easily foresee a future where the city center gets really, really dense. People take many fewer trips than they currently take. But people are taking fewer trips than what they currently take, then the business model of automated vehicles kind of falls flat. Not right? necessarily. Okay. When I Honestly, why not? I don't know. Well, because well, like, you, you need enough automated vehicles to sustain the automated vehicle manager or the fleet manager, right? Right. That doesn't mean you need to have as many cars and as many trips as we have today. Those are two completely different okay. things, right? I mean, you're, you're, right, sure, sure. They need the automated vehicles to be filled a certain amount of time. So if you sure. increase the number of people in a small area, those uh-huh. automated vehicles might be full all of the time, but you'll have many fewer right. vehicles per square mile or per person per square mile. But right? I guess I guess what I, I guess the the contradiction that I am trying to to write in my head is if it is easier and cheaper to take transportation, then why would people ever take fewer trips? Because there's no place to go. The places you want to go are within walking distance. Yeah. Okay. Then I guess this is to our point is that if we do both things, if autonomous vehicles happen in this specific way, which is probably pretty likely, and this is a much bigger variable, if we design our cities to not be car centric and in mm. fact reduce the amount of cars on the road if both of those happen at the same time yeah then yes i'm with you i just foresee the political forces like the political forces will change the political context will change i should say because car transportation yeah will be more li- widely available people will be like no make it easier for me to get into my automated car make it easier for me to get around you're right and i just feel like that's sort of the issue with them is that while they do offer these amazing benefits like we've talked about there will be that pressure to always have them around and to prioritize them even more than they are now and that political pressure will then fall to the the city planners and the, the city governments and regional governments to not prioritize public transit in any way and by not prioritizing public transit then you suddenly get even worse congestion on roads than you have now even with and i I would argue even with like the super advanced algorithms that these companies are going to have where you might not even need streetlights anymore because the cars will just avoid each other on the road right because they're all part of one network like i recognize that overall transportation time Probably, you know, if, if you just implemented every car right now and did not increase a single number of cars, but implemented mm-hmm. every car right now was an automated car, then absolutely, like, I imagine there would be a reduction in travel time. But the fact is, is you're going to have even more cars on the road because more it's people true. are going to, everyone is going to see, that's the induced demand that we're talking yeah. about. Like, everyone's going to see that it's now so much faster to get around in a car that they're all going to call the cars immediately yeah. to just get anywhere. And I guess, right. like, I feel like it's just such an if if we're going to design cities in that sort of way that still prioritizes the pedestrians, still prioritizes the bus and the, well, but and, and the metro and whatever. The question, though, because our complaints about how cities are designed in terms of being car-focused, mm-hmm. a lot of that, for me at least, revolves around parking. It revolves around parking requirements at restaurants and re- parking requirements at businesses. Like, it's not all parking. Parking mm-hmm. is obviously not the only thing that is an issue with this. Mm-hmm. But... Mm-hmm. That is a large portion of it. And obviously all of that space that is currently used for parking will not suddenly be converted over into lanes for cars to drive. No. I find that highly unlikely. So that space will be used and will be used effectively probably. Because I think with mm. a lot of these things, there is a turning point. There is a tipping point where when you start to require so much parking and cars require so much street space, then you start to push people out. Right. The, right. It, there's an economic turning point where... When you start to get rid of that parking, you fill it with apartments or businesses right. or what have you. Right. Well, then it starts to shift and starts to get cheaper and cheaper to be in yeah. the city center. I, I don't know where well, this wh- goes. You're right. I, I don't have an well, answer why, for this. I, I see, but, but I don't see why this couldn't, both things couldn't happen at the same time. And I right? think they will. Like, like I think suburbs like, will become more far right. flung and the city centers will become denser. I think mm. that mid range of the close in suburbs or the edge of cities, that area will become more spread out, more desolate. It will become less dense up around mm. the periphery, but that that core well, will become much denser. Maybe. It's it's hard to know because it also means yeah. that you can have smaller towns that are truly outside of the city, not connected in like a suburban yeah. way. Because yeah. suburbia also, so much of it is based around the fact that every shop has to have a big parking lot and right. every house has to have parking in front of the house and every house has to have right. a driveway. And all, like, right. all of that stuff expands the space a lot. If you remove all of that parking space, then there is a potential that even with far-flung suburbs, they're much, much closer together. And walking places is much, much faster. Like you just, you do save a substantial amount of space. There is one other 
wrench, I, I think is also an unforeseen thing that people don't expect. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of these kind mm-hmm. of side effects that a lot of people wouldn't mm-hmm. necessarily anticipate. And it's the fact mm-hmm. that shipping of stuff, transportation mm-hmm. of goods mm-hmm. and deliveries will probably right. increase substantially. Like we are already right. seeing with Amazon right. wrecking the world and things like food deliveries and stuff like that. Like that stuff is growing dramatically and will continue to right. grow if transportation becomes instant, cheaper. Instant on demand. Exactly. Yeah, totally, totally. If transportation becomes much cheaper, that sort of congestion of just having delivery trucks take up all of the mm-hmm. roads all of the time and having mm-hmm. congestion around that will probably increase. Although the benefit of automated vehicles is you don't need big vehicles that can house humans. You could potentially have small delivery vehicles, like a little motorcycle type or tricycle type vehicle. And you most likely would because the price at that point would be so low that like you could send a pizza across the city and you would still make a profit as the company. Yeah. And and we're and at this I, I should also just say that this is imagining a future where it really is that cheap. It might not be. You know what I mean? Sure. It's possible that it's not. But I think you're I think to your point, regardless, price would mo- would most likely drop. You know, you, you just remove the human from the equation. And yeah, there would be more. There would just be more vehicles on the road. Again, the induced demand, right? If something's free, you're going to use it. So how do you deal with this, Ben? Like all of these major concerns That's, we have about yeah. it. Yeah. This is how I would love to see autonomous vehicles be used is as a last mile option. So, you know, hopefully you have a really extensive metro or bus network, but there will always be people who are underserved. Either the construction isn't there yet for their neighborhood sure. or for some reason there's something that's blocking their way. And I would love to be able to have a cheaper option for people to be able to go from that public transit to wherever they live or mm. wherever they need to go. Yeah. So that last mile option. This is also assuming that there's no easy way to walk, no easy way to bike, no easy way to like take up a, a transfer. I mean, in an ideal world, you would never have to need a car you could easily just like go from from transit to transit and be fine but i i don't think that's ever 100 percent possible so basically just to boil it down to it i see i could see autonomy autonomy vehicles as a great way for the way that cars are kind of used now is to just bridge those gaps between where public transit is and where it isn't yeah uh and and do so in a, in a much more efficient and safe manner hmm. because ultimately I do believe the hype that automated vehicles and automated cars will create safer roadways and more efficient roadways. There's, yeah. I think there's no doubt agree. about that. Yeah. But the way I want to see them used is to sort of fill that gap there. And also you could have some of your buses, I don't want to say all, but maybe like some of your buses be be automated like as a way to like reduce some costs. Because I, I don't want bus drivers or subway drivers to go completely away well they are dude like you're not gonna have right right everyone have autonomous vehicles throughout the whole of society but bus drivers are protected and like we keep those extra expensive like that's not gonna be a thing that i know i I mean i recognize it but i also really appreciate the human connections of the people who are transporting me i mean i think that that i was just in in a lift the other day and that's what people were talking about like all of us were talking about the fact that before Lyft, cab drivers felt very impersonal. Sure. And a part of the reason why people did not want to take cabs apart from the cost was that they just felt impersonal. But now with Lyft drivers, it's literally just, you know, regular old people. Yeah. Yeah. Who are much more willing to talk and have that conversation. I'm not, and, and I don't know, that's just kind of wishful thinking on my part. I, I think you're right in, in that in order just to cut on costs. To it's not like you have a lot of personal connections with your bus drivers. Like <laughs> I'm not no, chatting no, with no, my no. bus driver a lot. Honestly, no, but I, I do see the same bus driver every day. Yeah. I do thank them every day. You might have like a ticket collector now instead. If, if anything goes, if anything goes wrong on the bus, it's nice mm. to have a human there. Uh, True. Right. To True. like, to like call you, you just, it's just all these things to think about. If there ever is an emergency, let's say you're in a tunnel on a subway and there's an emergency and you don't necessarily know which is the best way to go. Like you have to refer to those documents on the side of the subway or whatever yeah. that says like the exit is out this way or what, you mm-hmm. know if it's truly an emergency and you need to get out fast it's just better to have a human directing you better to have somebody um, that knows what's going on yeah that's true right i mean i mean again these are slightly edge cases and i i get i really understand that that's not how it's going to go down but i guess what i'm trying to say is that that's how i see in in general that's kind of how i see autonomous vehicles fitting in yeah because as much as i promote public transit and walkable cities and like want that to be the norm I would never say we should have a city completely without cars. Like they're 100% useful and they should never totally go away. I mean, we need to use them to move. Like if you ever go into the grocery store and you need to bring back a lot of groceries at once, like yeah. that would suck to take that on public transit. And I get that. And I think there's just no alternative. Buying furniture, that's just... not great on the subway. Right, exactly. I just want to ask you about buses because I am right. less than convinced that public buses in the way that 
that currently exist will continue uh-huh. to exist once we transition over to private automated vehicles fleets in the way that we're describing. And I think as we described at the beginning, these kind of mini buses that Uber has, I think mm-hmm. that sort of thing will become much more mm. common. Like it seems unlikely to me, and I, I'm wondering what you're thinking about this, because it seems unlikely to me that these private companies running fleets will allow the public sector to use their systems, right? To use their software and to use their Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe they'll work something out with the city, like in order to get a license well, to use their fleets in the city, they have to provide buses or something. Like that's the sort of thing that you could have cities negotiate. But I mm-hmm. definitely think that it's much more likely to have smaller kind of shuttle bus or like minibus type situations rather than the large scale buses. Because certainly cities won't be able to maintain it. Like cities won't be able to right. build these right. kinds of autonomous vehicles or purchase them. Like it's, it's, I think that's just unreasonable to expect. And well, so it's either going to be private or yeah. it's going to be mandated by the cities. Right. I'm, I'm not sure how that'll end up. Like metros will still exist. I foresee a couple things. Okay. Number one is that regardless of who owns a fleet of autonomous vehicles, mm-hmm. at some point they all need to be talking to one another in order for it to be a truly autonomous network. Yeah. If there are multiple companies that own multiple fleets of cars, they all have to talk to one another in order for autonomous vehicles to actually work. Does that make sense? It does. And I guess I guess I should clarify the version of autonomous vehicles that I'm thinking about here is not like not what we the, have now. The the early versions that we have now, which is a specific vehicle that has sensors on it that can like see other vehicles around it and then knows how to avoid and move through traffic and get from point A to point B. What right. I'm imagining is a system of cars all talking to one another that also have the cameras and whatever so they don't hit each other and pedestrians right but they're able to optimize a route because they know that three cars in front of them are going in different directions and therefore they're going to move at the last second and like you know you could do a last second merge like a last quarter mile merge and be totally safe because that car knows where the rest of the cars are going right that to me is like the ultimate end game of these autonomous vehicles is this hyper-connected system yeah, that fully unified is able, network. Yeah. Right, right, that is able to map out everything. So that's what I'm kind of getting at here is like the cars are, are all going to have to talk to one another and understand where they are in this system, meaning that it might be a municipal system that is set up I that, that everyone... I don't know. I don't know. I, I guess maybe it's yeah, let's, let's but think it's, about but it. Like, still, how do we get still, from here? Let's just to say. There. Let's just say it's a it's a common system. Okay. Right? It's a sure. common system. At which point, an automated bus would be able to be in that system. But that's assuming that you have somebody making automated buses, which maybe at some point. Well, that they will would. Happen. Well, they would. They would. They would. Well, not at not at first, certainly. Well. Sure. No, I mean it's it's not going to be like one day we're not automated and one day we're automated. Well, it's, no, but what I'm saying is, out. like, you might have massive fleets of automated taxis that are now uh-huh. cheaper than taking the bus or as right. cheap as taking the bus right? before you have automated buses, which will just yeah. kill bus systems. Yeah. Like they will just collapse. And you get, I guarantee you city governments will be eliminating buses like nothing else once it's cheaper to take a cab well, than it is to take a bus. Like This goes back to my point about space is that buses inherently take up less space than an individual car. Even if you were to do mini shuttles, right? Sure. Like in San Francisco, they have this system called Chariot, Okay. which is essentially an Uber kind of bus system where like you order it and then I think you go to a specific spot and then multiple people get in like five or six. It's a tiny shuttle. Okay. It's maybe like 10 people max get in and then they go on their own route and then they let you off at certain places. I'm not entirely sure how it works, except that I bring this up because even that system, which is like a mini shuttle, mm-hmm. still uses more space than a bus, which can hold 150, 200 people. Assuming the bus is full. The point is that it can't. Sure. Yeah. Like you're saying that these automated cars are going to compete with buses because they're going to be as cheap, if not cheaper, than riding in a bus. Yes. Let's say that on a bus route, if mm-hmm. each individual person were to call a an automated vehicle, yeah. instead of taking the bus, it would increase the amount of cars on the road by the number of people, right? Do sure. you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, like if each individual did it. Right, right. You suddenly added 150 cars to the road, so you've increased the amount of traffic on the road and you've elongated your commute and made the commute really bad. But think like, think about like, it really bad. Think about it slightly differently. Like, I, I think this is a difficult future to imagine because it's so different from how things exist today. But like, okay. imagine you had these minibuses. But minibus? Yeah, minibus. So like 10 people, as you described with chariot. Right. 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 And they're less than optimal, let's say, because they have to be these set bus routes. Each of these right. little chariot mini bus things can be rerouted 
after each trip to right. wherever most of these people are going, right? So each trip is closer to full capacity and is more mm -hmm. efficient in terms of its routing than mm -hmm. an actual bus. Like I'm just saying, mm -hmm. like it still might be less efficient, but it starts to get closer. And right. at, at the point where city governments don't have to manage it, city governments don't have to subsidize it and they can just mandate, okay, you private company, you have to have a certain number of these mini buses or what have you for us to allow mm -hmm. you to be in the city. I think mm -hmm, that sort mm -hmm. of future is just as likely because I think it'll be hard for city governments, at least for the first decade or two until this technology is completely ubiquitous, it'll be hard for them to manage subsidized bus networks with this onslaught of vastly superior technology that is now potentially much more affordable. I don't, I don't know, it's hard, it's hard right. to predict, but I, I think that that will change fundamentally. I don't think we will have buses like we do today in 30 years. Those types of set routes going all day kind of thing. I, I doubt very much that that sort of thing will continue to exist. Maybe. I mean, an amazing bus system, cities that have amazing bus systems, put you within a block or two of where you want to go, right? I mean, that is, those are the best bus systems. You can pick up your bus within a, blo a block or two of where you are, and they put you within a block or two of where you want to go. But That's sometimes the, the distance you're traveling on that bus is dramatically longer than a direct line would have been. So you might be going twice the distance that you would have gone if you could go directly there. Right, right. But here, let me let me finish my point. Go ahead, sorry. I'll, sorry. I'll, 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 no, no, it's all good. It's all good. Because like, yes, I, I get that. But I'm trying to think of the cost benefit hmm. beyond it being cheaper. Right, 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 right. The cost and benefits of taking these like tiny mini automated buses to a general large bus, mm -hmm. like regular sized bus, I should say, or even larger bus. If you have a good system, yeah, and I'm not saying all systems that they're good, but I'm saying like that is what they are striving to be, and some cities actually do hit that goal. Mm -hmm. If you have a good system, you're going to pick up a bus within a block or two of where you are, and you're going to end up a block or two of where you're going to go, right? Yes. And that bus holds, again, a large amount of people, like a, a pretty a pretty good size amount of people. Yeah. If we have these automated mini buses, it might put you on a more efficient path. Mm -hmm. It might get you within a block of where you want to go not directly in front of the restaurant or house or whatever you're going to. Yeah. Basically, the walking distance, it probably won't be that much reduced between a bus and the, the automated minibus or whatever. Sure. I think I think like that's that's kind of just standard because it, it, still, it, still it still acts as a bus, right? Yeah. Um, it still has to optimize the, the location might change, right? But I think the driving distance and the number of stops could change. Except, except that you're still going to have more minibuses on the road. I mean, I, I, like, I'm not trying to you're say right, that... Yeah. What you, I'm not trying to say that your future with these automated minibuses won't happen, nor that they shouldn't, but I'm just trying to think of, like, the downside. A huge determinant of how I feel about all of new technology and, like, mass transportation versus individual transportation mm -hmm. just comes down to, like, space variable. And yeah, to me, anything that causes vehicles to take up more space in a city ultimately leads to more detrimental consequences than things that take up smaller amounts of space, which is why metros and buses are amazing because they take up the least amount of space and transport the most amount of people. True. And you can optimize those routes to be better. You can create bus rapid transit lanes to make them much more efficient and be faster. And I think that what you're talking about is a great thought experiment because someone needs to do the math. Yeah. Honestly, I'm, I will be convinced when I see the math that these minibuses actually reduce the amount of time that it takes for you to get there, reduce the cost and don't create more traffic or induce more, essentially more streets yeah. and shorter blocks. I and mean, I'm not saying, again, not saying that streets should go away and that cars should go away, but cities ultimately should not be designed primarily around, like, I guess, getting from point A to B by, by vehicle. It should be essentially based on the human experience in a city. Uh, and and the the walkable experience in the city. Ultimately, those are the cities that are going to be those are those are the places that are going to be the places that people actually want to live in. It's right? true. I mean, Designing that's... a place around where you are and where you're experiencing life, rather than your right. route to get to where you're going, is a much preferable design goal. Like you want to be focused on where you're living, not mm -hmm. transportation to where you're living. Like that, that you're, you're absolutely right. Right. And also I think that I'm just wary because I, I'm just wary of the mini automated buses because I think ultimately it just adds more vehicles to the road, which in turn sure. adds more pressure on the road, which in turn adds more pressure for people to be like, you know, build bigger roads, build more freeways through our cities. You know what I mean? And I completely understand. Yeah. It just comes down to that for me. Okay. So I don't know. You might be right, but 
I ultimately think that we already have really good tools. We just haven't used them super efficiently. And buses can be way better than they are right now. I'm not, I'm, I definitely don't think we're like at the end of it, you know, at the end of what a bus yeah, can be. They're not even close. Yeah. And no, not at all. But especially uh, because they've been made subservient to cars for the most part. So like you can't use them optimally because they are right, subservient. Right, right, right. Exactly. Let me ask you about a particular solution because I'm, I'm wondering about your thoughts on this. And the solution that I've heard most to deal with this is the concept of congestion charges. And I'm sure you're familiar with these. <laughs> we should, yeah, this this should be its own episode though, maybe. Okay, a whole episode pricing. on congestion charges, okay. I mean, congestion pricing is, it's a whole can of worms, man. But, it is. But we'll go ahead, go, just, go ahead to explain, just explain the concept, but maybe we'll just touch on it quickly. So essentially congestion charges or congestion pricing is the idea that if you have a street that is in high demand, or you have a part of the city that is in high demand, lots of people want to be driving there, you charge people a little bit more to reduce the demand. So it's essentially because Mm -hmm. transportation has gotten cheaper, you make transportation more expensive. And that way you can reduce the congestion. And a lot Mm -hmm. of cities have implemented something like this. London famously has. Beijing has done something slightly different where they only allow half the license plates to come into the city at a given day. Shanghai just charges a huge amount to get a car or get a license plate essentially to register a car. Right. So they reduce it. So there are lots of different methods to do this, to increase the price essentially of having a car in this urban area or using a car in this urban area. So I've heard that if this is going to reduce costs dramatically, as I think it will, the key to solving this would be using something like congestion charges. I mean, obviously you have thoughts about equity, qualms about equity of not making things super expensive for people that can't afford it. So I think using right. the price mechanism perhaps is less uh, less your cup of tea. But what are your thoughts well, on congestion charges as a panacea yeah. to solve this uh, <laughs> issue? I mean, in short, congestion pricing is great because it it essentially is a it does I mean it does work. Like I think that's I think that's that's it's just established. Yeah. Number one, it works. It's been pretty clearly shown. No, number two, it really only hits individual. Um, individual trips, people who are taking individual trips and individual vehicles. I'm pretty sure, maybe I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure most, if not all, public transit is exempt from these because by definition, public transit creates a reduction in the number of cars that are on the road. And that's what congestion pricing is. It is It reduces the space demand on the road and the space demand in the city. Right. Like It doesn't reduce the demand of people trying to get there. It just changes the way that they get there. It also probably reduces right? the number of people trying to go there. No, not if mass transit... Like It counters the whole concept of induced demand, right? As you talk about with induced demand, you create more space so more people want to use that space. Right. Essentially, what you're doing is increasing the cost again to match that. So you're eliminating that extra bonus demand that you would have gotten. But you're only increasing the cost for a specific type of transportation. You're increasing the cost for single occupancy vehicles. Yes. And whether or not they're full... They could be full of five people. You're still reducing the demand for that specific type of vehicle. You are not reducing the demand for people wanting to get to that specific point. Right. I get I get what you're saying. I'm just saying there are definitely people that don't take trips because of congestion pricing. And then they just don't right. go in there. Well, yes and no. London is not going to stop being London, even though it has congestion pricing. Like, But you have, people are you still have some people go. that aren't going into the city center because it costs them to drive in and they only want to drive in like that is a thing like some people are not okay going to okay sure sure so you're sure, reducing sure. the if, actual if, total demand right 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 okay okay sure on on in in those cases yes for people I, i'm i'm assuming that every person who wanted to drive in is suddenly taking another another way of getting in right but some won't so so so, so they so they reduce so they yeah avoid the cost exactly right there are some people right exactly who will decide to telecommute or get a different job or or just whatever. not take a trip um, to in to see the park in this one part of right. the city or something yeah right exactly so for me congestion pricing works because it again it targets the type of vehicle the type of mode of transportation that takes up the most amount of space in cities and it puts the cost right on the person using that yeah Right, exactly, which is amazing. So I'm, I'm, I'm down with congestion pricing. I think it's great. Do you think that would solve the problems that we're talking about with this massive potential increase in it, sprawl? It, it absolutely could. That that would be a really cool and interesting tool uh, to use in conjunction with automated vehicles, automated vehicles. Uh, and what's great about that is because it's based on where you're going. Hmm you will know that calling an automated car to go into downtown is going to cost you way less than calling an automated car to go somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and, and so, and so you are, you, it, it's, it's the exact same thing 
as if you have your own personal car and wanting to go downtown. Right, right. Like, like I think I think congestion pricing could absolutely work. Maybe you know, again, maybe I'm wrong about that. I think it'll definitely, especially, have a good impact on the people delivering stuff and like right. delivery pizzas and things. Because like that's really just a cost thing. It's like you could go down to the pizza shop and get a pizza. Right. You're getting it delivered right. out of convenience. We're going to charge you more for this convenience. It makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. True. But other things like shipping or not on-demand deliveries, but deliveries for restaurants or stores or warehouses or whatever that are in city centers, that's something interesting to think about because those costs are then incurred upon the consumer, right? True. Um, so like a, like, a, like a small restaurant, mom and pop restaurant, they're getting a delivery and you know there's no other way to deliver that stuff then that that cost is then transferred onto the small mom and pop shop. And like, I want people to be able to build and have businesses in the city centers and not have to worry about a ridiculously, like I know the costs are inherently higher in the middle of cities, but it's just something interesting to think about. And maybe what that means is that all deliveries have to be at night or something, right? Where there's much less demand. Yeah, you could certainly, Um, I mean, especially if all the vehicles are autonomous, like you could certainly mm -hmm. adjust the pricing throughout the day and things like that. Like you can track with these cars that are in fleets where they are at any given time. Right. So like that, right. that wouldn't be a difficult thing. And yeah, you're right. Shifting deliveries for things like shops to the evening. Like I really like it because it allows you to have a price response. So you shift people toward wherever there is the least competition for that use. So wherever they cause the least damage as it were, like they take up the least, they don't take up the least space in terms of their trip, but like they, are in the least demanded period of time or the least demanded place. Like, I think that is an ideal kind of solution. But yeah, I, it's it's so hard with all of these things to know where it will go. But I'm glad we're talking about it because I think that these things will, like, I think autonomous vehicles in coming years will it probably be the biggest shift in the next 10, 20 years in terms of how cities are structured, in terms of a technological impact. And so definitely something that we need to grapple with. Yeah. Absolutely. Just a little funny thing as we're talking about. I mean, actually, there there are two, two kind of final things that I just wanted to say. One thing, yeah. I, so I live in Ireland and it's really funny to me because I think here autonomous vehicles would be so necessary because there's just not enough space on the roads. Like the roads are just small and there's not like the, the, there's not enough space generally for two parked cars and two cars driving each direction. So you bring in autonomous cars, you get rid of parking. But one of the things that's funny is that it would be so difficult for them to like be introduced here because they don't have like clear lanes in a lot of places. Like you get to an intersection or you get to a place on a street that's a little tight and you have to like wait for another guy to go around and like pull to the side, pull up onto a curb to let somebody go by. Like it would be just so difficult mm-hmm. to implement them here, but mm-hmm. I think it would be, mm-hmm. it's so necessary. And so it's going to be interesting to see how they're rolled out in certain places that are less clean and have less like clean and orderly grid like streets. Right. The European implementation right. will be complicated, I think. Yeah, we haven't even... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Just the other thing was I really don't have any kind of concept of how this will be implemented in rural areas. Like suburbs, I think this will work. Cities, this will work. But rural areas, there probably isn't enough demand to warrant a fleet in the way that we're describing. So mm-hmm. private car ownership would probably make a lot of sense there still. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't mm-hmm. have any kind of understanding for how that will be implemented. Right. And I think it very likely could create even more of a chasm and divide between rural and urban populations because that lived experience of how you get around will be even more different than it is today. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean we haven't even yeah, we just to kind of touch on the sort of the downsides of of well, we have touched on some of the downsides. We've talked about some downsides, but, but but something but something that we haven't talked about, I guess, like that has nothing to do with city pl- city planning or urbanism, whatever, is just the potential for these um, cars to be you know hacked, c- yeah. controlled, breached, whatever you want to call it. When you centralize your transportation systems like that, they become a much bigger target. Yeah, and that kind of goes to your point of like how even a non malicious kind of setup. You know, there are just issues with like how do they actually get around in places like that, right? Where yeah. it's not marked. There, there definitely will be issues with with autonomous yes. vehicles, but I think that by and large, unless there's just some ridiculous giant hack at one point that kills everyone in an autonomous vehicle, uh, by and large, is going to you know reduce the amount of deaths. Well, and that's and actually kind of drunk driving deaths, and just I that's why I think on balance it's going to be better. Yeah, um, I completely agree with that. Know. But I will just say like that's one of the reasons why I think that they will continue to be pretty reliant on like local sensors. Because they have to be able to function independently if the internet goes mm-hmm. down, if the whole network goes down. 
I think each vehicle will need to be right. prepared to function independently of anything else. Maybe that's a fallback. Yeah, because because yeah, yeah you're know. right. If you have that centralized network, like you don't want suddenly you taking over and suddenly driving every car into a building. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there needs to be a redundancy yeah. in case of an attack, in case of a power failure, whatever. Mm. You're right. Absolutely. I mean, honestly, that the hacking is my biggest issue. Yeah. With them. Agreed. That and also just general error, you know, user error failure, but. Outside of that, the the one the first death by autonomous vehicle um, a couple of m- weeks ago, the, you know, just the amount of, of miles that these cars have put have 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 driven these the the autonomous vehicles that have been created, like just the amount of miles that they've driven so far, yeah, and the percentage of like crashes and accidents that they've had is just well below what the average human does. Even it's shockingly impressive, yeah. Um, it's it's incredibly impressive. And then you get them, you get the cars to suddenly talk to each other and like that's going to drop even more. Because really the only reason why they have accidents is just the unpredictability of humans, I think. Yeah. You know, because there's the statistics, like the, the automated vehicle was in an accident and then the automated vehicle was the cause of the accident. Right, yes, yes. Right? Um, so... And even in this recent death in the Uber car or what have you, that wasn't really from like a haywire malfunction like the car blew up or the car swung out into a house or something like a Mm -hmm. pedestrian walked out in front of it just in the street without a crosswalk Mm -hmm. and while that's something that you would hope that it could stop and like not cause that to be an accident it's it's not really like the car didn't do anything haywire heinous right right exactly like it needs to be examined we need to figure out why it happened and try to really prevent that from ever happening and that's ridiculous but right you're right it wasn't yeah better than it just right, blowing exactly. up and and, and also if you're kind of afraid of vehicles driving you around autonomously don't get in a plane because so <laughs> much so much of, of plane trips are done by automated co-pilot yeah not all of it i do obviously i remember so vividly the first time i got onto a metro that was driverless and mm-hmm. it made me so uncomfortable i i, yeah. I was very very uncomfortable but right it'll be weird it'll be weird yeah but after you do it for a few times it really does just mm-hmm. kind of become normal although metro is different because it's on a specific track can never deviate not going to do a hard right turn yeah that's true yeah <laughs> like you're right like metro is less dangerous but this was before any concept of like automated vehicles was even like a thing sure i didn't have any concept of how this was possible i felt like someone's just going to hit a button and then we're going to go at high speed crashing into a wall like i was right i was yeah i was very nervous but it's it all yeah. worked out i survived so i'm, I'm yeah. yeah glad you're still here to do this podcast with me John. exactly exactly <laughs> all right wonderful uh shall we wrap it up yeah yeah absolutely well thanks so much for listening i hope we you know stimulated a bit of discussion about automated automated vehicles and uh or automated vehicles autonomous, autonomous vehicles, vehicles would be, yeah. Is, yeah yeah probably shouldn't you can just like blend com- the two words the terms. A- automated yeah yeah that's that's what i said yeah. and that is wrong um <laughs> maybe that's what yeah, we should call so, them automated vehicles no <laughs> um we were yeah we were debating before the show if we should call them self-driving cars or automated vehicles and so uh whatever we call them well, hopefully we simulated some you know yeah some discussion some debate about what they'll be and what they should be um so the next two episodes i think we're planning we're going to try something a little bit new a little bit different we're looking at doing kind of a quasi-book club thing. There is a book that influenced both of us called Walkable City that we're going to read. It's, it talks a lot about the issues with cars, a lot about urbanism, a lot about how cities could be improved in the future. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to reread and look over our notes from these books, and we're going to go through and talk about them over the next two shows. So if you guys want to follow along or read the books in advance, Make sure you read them uh, in the next two weeks, or at least read the first half in the next two weeks, and then yeah, we'll we'll go through that on the next show. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and to reiterate, it's um, Walkable City by Jeff Speck. Yes. Um, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And you can find our show notes as always at subjectradio.com/slash/polis/slash/005. And I guess I'll talk to you in two weeks, Evan. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Have a good one.